thank you for downloading this episode of the Shelf Impactors podcast. In this fantastic episode, we have another great guest on the pod, the great Chris Doe. For those of you who may not know Chris, as well as being the owner of a thousand cool caps, he is an Emmy award-winning designer, director, CEO, and chief strategist of Blind, as well as being the founder of The Future, which is an extremely successful online education platform with the big, hairy, audacious goal and mission of teaching one billion people how to make a living doing what they love. As I wasn't able to make the podcast recording, Lisa went solo into this one and had an incredible conversation with Chris. They get into who Chris Doe is, what motivates and drives his ambition. Chris shares some of his stories of how he came to set up the future and how he overcame his relative shyness to become a hugely successful speaker, spokesperson and mentor for the design community and heading up a team of awesome creative thinkers. So here we go, Lise, take it away. So give us a little intro. Like I know a lot about you. A lot of okay. people listening to this. Look, we set this podcast up. It's a it's originally for creatives. It's expanded and become wider because we talk about nerd topics, consumer trends, behaviors. So why don't you give us a little intro in your own words? You class yourself as a loud in, introvert and educator. What is who is Christo? Um and you know, why have we been chasing you so long to get here? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize we were chasing each other for so long, but <laughs> Okay, uh, so there's a good chance nobody in your audience knows who I am. My name is Chris Doe. Um, I came to the United States in 1975, and we're refugees from Vietnam uh, because of communism. And I, I grew up in the suburbs in Silicon Valley, and I had this proclivity towards doing creative things. But coming from a family, moving up the socioeconomic ladder, I didn't want to waste this great sacrifice that my parents made and pursue something that felt very trivial and self-indulgent in, in pursuing the creative field. So I suppressed that part and I was going down this path of thinking that I was going to become a computer scientist or an engineer of some sort, something like legitimate and to be a pillar of the community. And in the senior year in high school, I met a, a professional graphic designer. He ran a silk screening company and meeting him and the people that he knew in his circle changed the direction and the trajectory of my entire life. And for the first time I saw professional graphic designers earning a living, doing things to support their family. And it gave me the hope that this is a possible dream. And from that point forward, I decided to go in that direction. And long story short, I became a graphic designer. I went to one of the top schools here in the United States for graphic design, started my company in 1995 and grew it from nothing, from from zero to, I think at one point we had 20 people, two offices, one in LA and one in New York, and billing as much as $7 million a year, making commercials and music videos. But somewhere along the way, I got tired. I got tired of working and I was thinking about retirement. Here I'm like in my late 30s, early 40s, thinking I've done enough, I've earned enough. I'm going to start to think about what my golden years are like and live the American Ooh, dream wow. that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so I, I then realized that I was working to stop working. And 
it, it, I wasn't filled with the purpose and the joy and that spark that I once started with. And it was around this time that I started thinking about education. I had been already teaching at that time almost 15 years, but I didn't feel that I was being financially rewarded in school and teaching. So I wanted to figure out what the heck I'm going to do. I need to reconcile the need to make money, to make an impact in the world, but to give back at the same time. And that's when I started on this path of creating an education company called The Future. So in 2014, I made my very first video on YouTube and it was terrible. I'm an introvert. I didn't want to be on camera. My jaw was like locked tight and it was like sore afterwards of facing my fears and, and jumping into that discomfort space allowed me to grow and blossom in so many ways. And now I'm filled with this mission to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. Do you feel like you always had that in you? Because like I, I probably understand it. I link to it. Like it's something that we grow up in a society where everyone tells you this is how you are. This is a certain way. But you seek more than that. Do you always think you were someone to seek more than that? I know you found someone who showed you that graphic design could could earn you a living. Was it important to find that person or do you think you'd have got there by yourself? Yeah, I think the seed was there. It was just being suppressed. And like like many things in nature, seeds have a tendency to find a way to live, even on a rocky crevice somewhere without any dirt. And those seeds are there. It just would take longer for it to, to take root and to mature. And I was just, I, I think it's one of those things where that expression, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I've been ready and I've been waiting for the teacher to appear. And if you aren't ready, when you're in that moment and you see that person or that door opens, you just think it's a door to another door and actually not a door to an opportunity. And so I think you have to be ready and to recognize when those things happen for you. I agree. And I think, yeah, I think, I think we talk a lot in our industry about luck and, and I know definitely I've had having moved country and kind of chased different opportunities. People have said, you're so lucky. You're so lucky to have got where you've got to. And I think probably you're one of the people on your platform that's taught me finally to go, no, like it wasn't luck. Like there was an element of luck, sure. But I put myself in those spaces and I took those opportunities and risks and I'm with you. Like if you look back to the very first episode of Shelf Impactors and Mark's a much better speaker than I am. It's awful. It's terrible. We listen to it now and go, oh, we didn't know what we were doing. We're so nervous. But we have to start somewhere. And I think it's knowing that and pushing yourself to start. Like I'm someone who actually needs someone else sometimes to kind of go push you into those situations. I didn't used to be very good at speaking in front of people. I would never have contacted someone to come on a podcast and then keep on going, come on on it. Like I rec you know, I recognize what you do. I'd love to hear more from you. I'd never have done that like five years ago, 10 years ago. So how do you do it as you get more further on into your game. So obviously you've been doing this for a while now. I think that's the key, right? You have to figure out a big, hairy, audacious goal. Somewhere, something that's just so impossibly big. And if you're ready for it, you kind of set your sight on that. And I, I say this in, in with the full humility that a billion people, that's a lot of people. <laughs> it's like one in seven or one in eight people on planet Earth. Like, is that possible? To, yeah, I'm not so sure that's possible in a lifetime or multiple lifetimes, but it's a goal worth having. And so for me, my purpose is to, to reinvent or to, to disrupt education. And so the way that we get there is through the mission of teaching a billion people. And I realized that I need to enroll an army of teachers. It's the only way it's going to happen. So I have to teach the next generation teachers. And so if they teach 100 people and those people teach 100 people, maybe by the time I'm ready to expire, it might be possible, but I'm not sure. And so when you have such a big goal, your North Star is set. We don't know how long the journey is going to take, but we know we're heading in the right direction. 
it also forces me on a regular um, interval to like evaluate, am I thinking big enough? Am I doing the right things to get there? Because if we think small, we play small, there's no chance of us getting there. So when the team gets together and talks to me like, hey, do you do we want to launch this other course? And if it's going to consume half a year to do that, I think, well, how many people is this going to impact? We're not thinking big enough. Guys, go back to the drawing board and think bigger. Go for more. And I think it's that that dare to dream, the kind of audacious thing that I think Americans are sometimes associated with. I think there's a good part to it. There's a lot of bad parts to it. But just to be audacious and say, yeah, well, if it can be done, why not me? And why not now? So let's take action. That actually brings me around to Mark did send me a list of questions last night. But that brings me through one of them because you touched on the American dream there. And look, I always saw myself working and living in America. Maybe I will at some point. Globally, Mark said, who's better, the UK, the US or Australia? Because we debate this all the time. (laughs) And I said there are other countries that bring, bring it in there. And I think there are mentalities that go through different countries. Like definitely, you know, like I've I came to Australia and it unleashed something probably in me that I didn't have from the UK. And I've been back since because I thought I missed it. And then I realized I didn't miss it. I've also worked in China. And I think every country and culture fascinates me. And so my dream is to actually work around the world and tap into and understand more about different cultures and then how to connect people and, and kind of make it a little bit more real and inspire and educate other people throughout those cultures. But who do you think? You talked about the American dream. Who else do you look to? Other than Vietnam and America, have you lived anywhere else? You must travel a fair bit with what you do. I've not lived anywhere else. I mean, I've lived in different parts of the United States. When we came to America, we were in Kansas City, Missouri, of all places. And then we lived in Northern California and San Jose. And then now I live in SoCal. And so I'm I'm pretty happy where I'm at. And I I do travel a lot now, especially in the last 10 years. Uh, You know, I've probably traveled more in the last five years than all the other years combined. And I get to see a lot of different cultures. And when I stay at the places, I try to immerse myself in the culture, the people, the customs, and I see different things. And as if you aspire to be worldly or world traveler, you try to take the best and, and you leave the rest from each culture that you visit. And there's things that are wonderful. Uh, for example, British people have a rich history of graphic design and, some, and, and, and music and rock and roll. And there's wonderful things there uh, and that you can get. But there's certain things about the Brits, and I'll say this at the risk of alienating uh, your your British fans, which is there's sometimes a cynical point of view, like everything sucks and everything's miserable. And then who are you and just shut up anyways. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe it's all the sunshine that's hitting my face that makes me more optimistic. I don't know. And there's that part of it. Right. But I also enjoy that a lot of Brits from from an American point of view are pretty straightforward. Like when you ask a question, they're just going to tell you and they're not going to sit there and beat around the bush too much. And sometimes part, parts of America, especially in the South, people are very cordial. They're very hospitable. And so you're trying to get a straight answer from someone and they just use a lot of like flowery innuendos and like, no, I just want to know what you think. Yeah. And so everywhere you go, every every culture has a strength and weakness. And if you can, you just try to cherry pick all the best things and you make the, yourself an amalgamation of different cultures. That's a really nice viewpoint and a really nice insight. And yes, I, I agree with you. Like I went back to England about four years ago and realized it is not all of the things that you spoke to me about. And I, I don't know about the optimism thing because I feel like it's something that's within you again, that it gets unleashed. Um, and definitely going back there, I realized all of the things that I, it just wasn't who I was anymore. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think I grew into, like, I've always been optimistic, but I think you grow into some of your traits as well yeah. that people can't beat out of you. Like Absolutely. If, you know, even in the bottom of a dark pit, you go, no, we're going to get out. And I think that's, it's just, a, it's a way of thinking. It's just like seeing the world differently, isn't it? It's about, mm-hmm. you know, even when you go and travel, it's about actually being part of the culture that you're traveling in. It's not, you're not a traveler. You don't stay in the top class hotels and not look beyond the Western world. You go, you know, if you're traveling to somewhere like Vietnam or China, it's actually understand how people live there and how the culture is like that fascinates me like I think I never want to stop learning about different cultures and different spaces mm-hmm. and you're in Australia now uh, yeah I've got dual citizenship so I'm a, I've got the best yeah. of both worlds at the moment um yeah I've you, been like, to Australia yeah yeah and I know you're really have- happy yeah, of course, you know, like it's sunshine. But, you know, there are frustrations even after two years in the UK. I came back here and went, oh, like, you know, there are frustrations here too. There's a certain slackness. Uh, there's a, ah, it is what it is. And I think it yeah. was good coming from, there's something about definitely European design and creative. And and I'm proud to, have, to, have, to be British still, is that there's a real work ethic and a real drive to be the very best version of you um, and, not, and not stamp on other people and kind of show a certain amount of respect. And there's definitely like I don't think I think a lot of people definitely even in the studio that I'm working in now that if they went to work in Europe or America they'd be terrified at the work hours and the effort and and I know we don't price based on time we price based on value but I think you have to learn your craft and I know it's something you speak a lot about in the future Um, and it's something I wanted to I actually jotted down today to talk about job titles and actually the experience that you bring to the table is sometimes worth more than if you've been 20 years in the same place in the same space and you've not really ventured elsewhere there's something about the uncomfortability I got a lot of criticism when I like I've I've stayed at some places you know like five years or, or three years and stuff but I still now definitely if I'm in England I get the criticism or you've moved around a lot, but I've only ever left a space when I felt like I'm no longer a space to grow. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I mean, look, you've been, you set the future up a long time ago and you've been, but you keep pushing yourself within that space. And I think that's important. And I think probably that's why you did the right thing by setting up your own business. Cause obviously often when you're in other businesses, you're growing in a way that, or, or it's a different mentality. It's not necessarily set up for you to grow and for you to help them as a business grow. Whereas if it's your own business, you've got your own passion on the table. So do you purpose, yeah. do you purposely seek out people who are like yourself to work with you at the future or do you set out to to surround yourself with a mixture of people and obviously some of them have to push you too you're you're the person who pushes other people but you need to surround yourself with people who keep you honest too how do you do yeah. that Good question so I, I I'm not certain that I sit around and think like no. <laughs> you know, who, who are you and who are you to me? And I'm not that complicated of a person. I think there's a job that needs to get done. And I'm trying to find the best person to do that job while fitting in the larger ethos of our culture. And our culture is one where if you need a lot of instructions, if you want to feel safe and, pre- and have a predictable future, we are not the company for you because things change really fast. So one of our core values is to embrace and drive change. And we borrowed that from Zappos because it's an unstable thing. Tomorrow, I can totally set a new direction for the company because we've hit a roadblock. And, and, and the people who are like hacking away at the problem, like put down your tools or we're doing something totally different. And they're like, what? So we're still going through that process of making sure people are enrolled and immersed in the mission and they want us to succeed in that way and I will make it work. So if you have that in your in your body and your soul and your spirit and you you want to find a solution with us, you're probably future material at that point. 
talk, Mark and I talked recently in a podcast about bravery and resilience. And that's something that I definitely noticed. That's one of my frustrations, definitely, when we go back to countries that sometimes in Australia, it's the land of the free. And every we are so lucky here. We don't, you know, like, even throughout the virus, we're one of the luckiest countries. And yet, you know, we've, we've at the moment got some, a weekend where we have to wear masks. One case, we have to wear masks. Oh, you've got to wear masks. And there is a bit of an attitude. I know you've had Matt and Jacob on your show as well, and you've got the Brit and the Australian in those two as well. Um, and I think there's just, unless you leave Australia and definitely from coming from somewhere else, there's a bit of a, I love the attitude that's, well, I've never seen it before. You think you can make it happen? Go for it. People will let you have a go, but they ultimately, they don't want to help you have a go. <laughs> like, you go and do it. You do it. Like, meh, we'll just sit on the sideline. And so I think it's very hard. And, and it's one thing, like, I applaud you for being able to do it with the future, is to bring in the people that go, we want to try. We want to have a go. And we're okay if it fails, but I have a go and I give it my best shot. It's okay to fail. I don't like to complicate things. Um, and there's a lot when you get into the business world, you'll have felt it probably in your own businesses, that is, they like to problem push so it's that problem. That's the problem. That's cool. It's all good. We've identified a problem, guys. How do we fix it? What's the solution? Let's not overcomplicate things. Let's keep it real. Um, and that's probably a challenge in where it's been good. That you've been able to set up. I don't know if you need to do a course probably for that on the future, a bravery and resilience course. Um, I'm sure it ripples through most of the things that you do. So outside of let's get away from graphic design for a minute. And we'll define bravery in terms of things where you're not sure what the outcome is going to be. In Chris Doe's world, what things have you done that have been brave? Yeah, I, I just want to say something for the record, because there's there's how I want to communicate to the world. And there's the internal struggles and they're not always in perfect alignment. I just need everybody to know. I know it seems dumb and obvious to say something like that. And so when I'm speaking, uh, you, you have to speak in emphatic terms and you have to have a lens and a point of view because otherwise you're just like milquetoast and so boring. You're trying to like straddle the fence and I'm not going to offend anybody, so I won't say anything. And yeah, when I'm in a, in a room with people and, and what you don't see is everything that happens off camera, right? And yep. there's the boiling point. And then for whatever reason, that's when we hit record and you see this explosive, very sometimes controversial, bombastic point of view where I'm like, stop charging like that. And then that's what they see and they think, oh, I just yell at everybody. No, I don't. I'm not like that all the time, just sometime. But in terms of my own challenges, uh, deciding to go to art school when I was against like what my dad wanted, that was one. And then deciding to, I'm, I'm a horrible employee. I'm just going to say I can't work for people. It's not that because I, I, I got this some genius plan. It's just, I'm just horrible at taking other people's direction because I just don't agree. I have an opinion. You know, when I see people doing crazy things about how they work with teams and employees and how, how they reward certain behavior, I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. And the only way you can do that is A, shut up, stop complaining and go make your own thing. I, I don't have a lot of tolerance for people who sit around like, well, that sucks. I could do that better. And that's all they do every single day. They're, they're like in the, uh, what is that called? The, the peanut gallery, just casting stones at everybody all day. Like, oh, if they only gave me a shot. Well, who's stopping you? Go make yep. your shot. So if I find myself complaining more than once, I got to go and build it. I just got to go and be part of the solution and not part of the problem. Because complaining can be a sport and it can be very addictive and it can be very destructive. It doesn't take you anywhere. So years into starting my own business and that's scary in itself. And then pivoting quite a few times because every four or five years our industry changes and oh shoot, we're not relevant anymore. What are we going to do now? How do we respond? 
this new newest challenge. Well, we got to grow and we have to have the audacity to think it's possible and to be a little aspirational. So we went from doing all kinds of design work into doing motion design and then from just doing typography to like full animated characters. And then we added live action and then visual effects and compositing and well, each one of those things was a challenge in itself. And we've had many failures along the way when we got in over our head and our clients just ripped us apart. And there's nothing I could say. I'm like, you're right. We'll try to do better and hope that maybe in three years they'll forgive us and give us another shot. And that's really literally what happens. But in that process of running a design company, my business coach tells me, you gotta go and do public speaking. And it's like, as an intro, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna do that. He goes, you have to, because you're the face of this company. And and he said it to me like this, there's just like no mincing of words here. Your reluctance to go out there is hurting your ability as a company to sell. Everyone's livelihood here depends on you being courageous enough to do this. Okay, got it, I'll go do it. And a couple of first times I failed, I'm, I'm, I'm breathing erratically. I've got like gas trapped inside my body. It's like, what is going on? My voice is shaky and you just keep doing it. You keep doing it. You go back and you're like, that didn't work out. What can we do better? And you keep doing that. And then the next hurdle is my business partner at that time says to me, let's go record videos on YouTube. I'm like, no, why would I do that? That's stupid. Only kids watch YouTube. Only losers make videos on YouTube. I'm a professional, man. I've won awards. That's your ego getting in the way, you know? And I'm 42. Who wants to listen to a 40-year-old dude talking to like 15-year-old kids? Well, it turns out he was right. We gotta get on YouTube. We started making videos. And then I'm like, well, so what's social media again? Like, what is Twitter? I don't understand. What, what is a tweet and what's an Instagram? And yeah, I'm on Facebook and I'm sharing pictures of my family and food. Is there more to this? And you start to figure it out and you keep doing that. So yeah, there's a challenge and I like to be challenged. And so I'm giving talks on things I just learned two months ago. And you're just a little bit ahead of the pack and it's dangerous, it's scary, it's fraught with peril. But I love this because that challenge allows me to grow. If you think about it, this 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 bubble, your comfort zone, as soon as you breach it, the bubble expands to meet you where you're at. So I like to have a really big bubble. Yep. That's awesome. And and obviously, like, do you think that you spoke then about a certain age and, and discovering new technologies and stuff like that? Like is there an age limit on it? I don't feel that there is, but tell me your thought on it. Like, I think because you, you constantly learn new things, like, in, and, and even now, like I've got people in the, in the studio that I've, um, I work in that want to learn digital technologies and stuff. And, and our industry is like set up for packaging and purpose. And I'm the kind of little, I'm a bit known as the rebel creative director at the moment. Like I've only started in the agency I'm with like four months ago and they already know me as this JFDI type little personality that goes, no, like we need to try this and about trialing and testing. Like I don't come from a digital background, but it's the way the world is moving. So we've got to pick up and move with it. We've got to see things before they even happen. But is there an age limit? Is there a, a time where you go, I, again, we go back to that, is it in you or not? Like, I think if you, every goal that I reach or every, even mini goals, you go, all right, what next? And I think there are people that chase that infinite possibilities. And when they reach that block, you go, oh, there must be more to this. Like, or what can I do next? I think I'm not one of those people that can sit there and go, all right, we got here. That's what we wanted, creative director, done. I think there is a there are type of people that would and they sit there in their comfy little shoes in their home and those people like I don't get those people because I'm not one but I have to appreciate that not everyone is the same. Um I don't think age is a barrier but I do appreciate that some people think that I'm too old to learn that. You don't agree do you? 
No, I don't. And Good. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a couple of things to say about this. First is, is change is inevitable. Progress is a choice. So if you choose to stop growing, I think you're choosing to start dying. That's it for me. Like if I'm not growing, if I'm not learning, if I'm not expanding my horizons, I want to try new things as much as I can. If I choose not to do that, then I'm moving in the wrong direction of where my life is and my life experience. I think if you're, if you have the resources, if you still have use of your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your body, and your brain is still functional, then you can still learn. And it's your resistance to learning that makes the learning process even more painful and difficult. I don't look at learning as a thing to dread. It, it fills my soul. It, it makes me happy. And my wife will often walk by at two in the morning, shake her head and just go to bed. And she's shaking her head because she's like, aren't you supposed to be finishing something? Why are you reading or watching a tutorial right now? I'm like, Shh, I'm, I'm trying to learn something new right now. I can always do what I've always done, but I'm not interested in that. I want to one new trick and it doesn't need to be some gigantic revolutionary thing it could just be a small tweak uh, maybe I'm learning how to write a script to automate something that I'm doing but I look at it like this every time I learn something and I improve my process I save a little bit of time and the compound effect of that over time is profound in the minute I spent two hours learning how to shave 10 15 seconds off doing something but compounded over the rest of my life, every time I, my hands touch something that the task is there again, I'm going to get back that investment of time exponentially. And I know that because I watch young designers work. I'm like, you work in such an inefficient way. Did you know you could do this? Yeah, but I don't want to. So they stay doing the same thing over and over again. You know, so for me, it's like there's a new operating system. Just hit upgrade, but they won't do it. They're going to be stuck on Adobe Illustrator 2.0. And I get it. For some people, they love that version, but I'm on whatever the newest version is. <laughs> yes, I'm the first one to hit um, upgrade as well. Um, what about passions? And, and we, you've obviously talked a lot about people growing themselves within skill sets and things in design. And yes, there's a, there's a passion, you know, skilling up in di digital, skilling up in certain lating operating systems and, and the technical skills. But what about skilling up in things that make you different? So... What are your passions that aren't necessarily in the creative land? And I give an example of that is that until probably five years ago when I crashed and burned a couple of times, I now I'm a bit of a nutritional nerd. We talk about it on the podcast because Mark is as well. He's a little bit um, carnivore. And so we do these challenges, you know, like end of last year, we did this nutrition challenge. I'll try keto for a month and you try carnivore and you know just little mini challenges because we're both quite passionate about nutrition and how it can fuel your mind and body and stuff um and that that kind of feeds back into my work so i lot work with a lot of challenger food and beverage company but on paper that passion isn't necessarily me learning technical skills it's me learning about a vertical or an industry or an area that I'm also passionate about. And I can, and I ripple that passion through, you know, through to clients. Like I love working with the people who are passionate about what they do, whatever it is. So how important do you think it is to look to absorb yourself in things that you perhaps know nothing about that aren't necessarily creative led. So how important do you think it is for us to find a side of us that's not just about the technology, that's not just about growing our creative practice, but that shapes us as a person? Okay, there's a couple of things that you're talking about here. 
um, there's convergent and then there's divergent thinking, right? As far as I can understand, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a neurologist, but convergent thinking is, I think, if you're a scientist, a doctor, a lawyer, something like that, it's like you're, you're, you're very narrow in your focus and you're stacking skills. And to be a competent doctor, lawyer, or scientist, you, you actually have to do that many years of study, doing one thing and going really deep. And in the 20th century, those are the people who rule the world. They're the ones who got paid the most amount of money. If you believe Daniel Pink, when he talks about this, he's like, we've gone from the information age to the age of creativity. And so divergent thinkers, randoms like you and me, who are like over here, over here, over here, like we suffered in the past because we didn't get good at things. And we we got interested in lots of different things that you could call ADHD. You can call it the entrepreneur's disease, whatever it is, we're all over the place. So I think... The balance here is a mix of both. So you have your spine. I'm sorry. No, no, carry on. You have your spine, which is you going to the highest level at a creative director, ECD group creative director. You put in the time, you've you've done the hard work, you've paid your dues, and you're a hard worker. Okay, we get that. And then all of a sudden you start to explore something about scuba diving. And you want to explore something about uh, foreign cultures and language and food and things like that. And then what's really cool is you're able to bounce back and forth and bring diverse points of interest and find that connection. And I think that's where the genius of creativity and everything else that lives within you. I'll give you an example. Um, I'm a big mixed martial arts fan. I know. I've heard this on the podcast many Have times. You? Are, okay. you good? Are you good? <laughs> I'm not good at all. I just watch. I just watch. I read the magazines. I'll, I'll tell you how crazy I am. And so I went back on eBay to find the very first UFC tapes. And I think for a number of years, I bought every single UFC pay-per-view that ever out. And so I was thinking, I've spent thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars on pay-per-views. I've gone to live events. And this is just like some random thing. And people look at me, it's like, how could a designer, maybe even a design snob, be so interested in such a brutal, bloody sport, right? And where's that connection? I don't know where it is. But then the door of opportunity opens up. So one of our clients, Spike TV, we're doing some work with them, doing a network package for The Shield uh, with Michael Chiklis. And then we find out they're now producing this new series called The Ultimate Fighter, and they're in season two. And I was thinking, alarm bells go off. Ultimate Fighter, graphic design, motion graphics, title packaging. Then I tell my creative director, tell our clients that I'm a big mixed martial arts fan. We get on the phone. Can't tell them yourself? No, I I was was too shy back then. (laughs) I wasn't on the call. I'm like, you know, just do me a favor and just say that for me. And so they say it and they get me on the phone. And we, we hit it off like that. And then we wind up doing, I think, four seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. We're flying to Las Vegas behind the scenes and we're just talking and, and talking to the fighters. I know what I'm talking about here. That's awesome. And so that's when you bring these things together. Here's another example. I grew up reading comic books. Oh, you know, that's the kind of stuff in the, in the 80s. If you told somebody you read comic books, that's like you getting dumped in the trash can material. So it was kind of like, a, you know, you keep it on the down low, you play Dungeons and Dragons and you read comic books. But later on, you, you don't know these things. I started working in commercial and, 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 and television. So we have to produce storyboards and I'm sketching out the storyboards and people are looking at me like, how do you know how to do that? I'm like, oh my God, you know what comic books are? They're storyboards broken up on a page. And so I've been studying those, not knowing where it's going to go. So yeah, 
Uh, David, I think, is the David Trotter. Uh, he writes about this book, One Plus One Equals Three. Yeah. He says, like, you know, we, the problem is that we have, uh, we don't have enough dots to connect. That's the thing. So we have to expand. We have to learn about business. We have to learn about culture, marketing, content creation, all these kinds of things. And that makes us a whole human versus a human with a whole. And so it sounds like then even even as a kid or even even when you were younger, you were happy to be the kid that kind of went off and did its own, did your own thing. Um, that actually when you come back later in life, they, like you said, with the comic books, you probably like you probably kind of kept it like if you're anything like me, you're a bit low key and you might go and be a bit of a nerd and sit there drawing for hours or whatever. And you were happy in, in your own company. I think you have to reach a point perhaps where you're happy to do your own thing even if it's quietly on the sideline. And then later on, like you said, when it, when it comes to this time in life, you got to be all those things that were a little bit nerdy and, and made me a bit weird and different in a time when I wanted to, to be like everyone else in some way, actually are benefiting me now. Yeah, I'm not trying to be the nerd. I promise you. I'd rather be the popular no, jock. I'm, I'm interested in more because you, know you come mean? across as being like the cool guy. You give all of these amazing inspirational talks and stuff, but it's nice to know there's a side to Christo that we don't always see every day. Um, and I think it's it's important people see a bit of it. And I've learned that, you know, recently over my practice that you come across and you're bulletproof, and, but actually inside you're not always bulletproof. And you've got these little sidelines of your character that, you know, like I'm a I'm an English football nerd, even though I've been in Australia for a long time. There are those little things that shape you and who you are that, you know, you come across and you're this nice, polite person and you love what you do and everything. But at two o'clock on a Saturday night, you're up watching EPL screaming off at a screen. So there's little sides of your character that people go, I, I didn't know that about you. And I actually like to discover those things about other people when you kind of realize and someone literally sneaks into a conversation, you go, really? You're into that too? There's those nice little moments that, that look, our industry is massive and there are a lot of people who do what we do. And I think the one thing that I always strive to is try and be authentic um, because people buy, I do believe people buy into people. And so at some point you have to realize that you don't have to be like everyone else. And there's, and there's, I always remember, and you probably would have got it too, is that, and, and when I've worked in other companies, in fact, Mark, who I now co-host with, was at one time one, a creative director of mine, is that, you know, they would always go, oh, Lisa, you're always the person that when I, when you need a design concept, you always go straight to option three. We need someone to knock out one and two because they're the ones the client's happy with. And you're always the person to go to option three. And at the time that hurt me, you know, that was like, oh my goodness, I'm not very good at what I do. But now finally you go, no, it's good because you need to see the option three because there are a lot of people in the world who can do design. There are a lot of agencies out there, was it 18,000 or whatever, just in the UK alone that can do what we do. So why are we different? Because we're us. So you need to bring a bit of yourself into wherever you move to or wherever you go. Um, and it seems like definitely from the stuff I've listened to from the future and stuff, you kind of, you even bring people who are a little bit different in there because they're different. Um, so tell us first, like we'll break a little bit. We've not got a lot of time left, so I won't keep you going too long, but tell, tell people in the middle of the podcast and we'll review it again at the end. How can people find you in the future? How can we grow your tribe? Sure. The easiest place to find us is to go to the future website, thefuture.com. And somebody had asked me because the future is spelled funny. It's like you would read it and you say futur or something because there's no E. And somebody on Twitter asked me, hey, where did the E go? I said, yeah, we just dropped the ego. There's no me, so you can remember that. <laughs> but I'm on, <laughs> yeah, I'm on almost every social platform. I'm at the Chris Doe, and that's spelled D-O. So if you want to find me on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and on Clubhouse, I'm there, I'm everywhere. And I do try my very best to read every single message. And my, and my answers, my replies back aren't very long. It's usually three words or less, but 
I, I do try to respond to every single person who, who makes a comment. And I think that's why people probably buy into you and buy into the future because of those moments and those interactions. Um, that, like I found out from you a long time ago from an intern that we had in who I now know recently has won a competition with you guys, Jeremy, and he's commented a few times on my posting this. So I think like you, you build your tribe. It's really hard to find the people that you want in your tribe, but you definitely build it. So everyone check out the future and definitely check out all of these podcasts and after hours on YouTube. And it's much better than Netflix. And you have a book as well, don't you? Called um, do, Pocket Full of Dough. There you go. So get out to, is it on Amazon? It was, but uh, Amazon didn't take good care of it. So now we ship directly. So if you want to buy a copy of the book, you can just go to our website and we'll, we'll send it to you directly. All right. So there's a few gratuitous plugs and we will put them at the end as well, but it's nice when you slip them in the middle for people who don't bother listening to the end of a podcast. So tell me about a little bit, because um, I still have loads of things that I'm going to ask, but I'm conscious of time. So tell me. Can, little- I, can I say something first? Go. I wanted to respond to something because, look, if I could design my life, it would not be the one that I'm living, okay? Because in the beginning, like a lot of kids, being an introvert, being in a, in a world that doesn't look or sound like you, it's difficult to do. And I just wanted to belong. So it's been a very long journey, this arc. And this whole thing about like being introspective, it wasn't a choice. No, I, it was too weird to talk to people and people don't want to talk to you. So guess what? I'm having conversations with myself most of the time. You know, you're sitting in the bus and and I'm not into stick and ball sports. So I, I got to find my own thing. I'm not trying to be a rebel. I just, I don't know how to fit in this world. And and the world seems to reward a very, uh, very specific type of human being. You know, you're built a certain way, you speak a certain way. And if you're in that group, life seems to like roll its carpet out for you. And it's like gives you the key to everything. But here's the thing. I think as it's turning out that the nerds is a revenge of the nerds. The meek will inherit the earth. What are the biggest uh, entertainment properties right now? Comic book related things. Some of the most powerful creators, Robert Kirkman for The Walking Dead and now Invincible, a series on Amazon. And so it's all these quiet weirdos, myself included, that if we can just persevere, if we can just stay in it and stay in our zone, our zone of genius or whatever, we can eventually become bulletproof. And the way I look at it is like, I'm going to make another nerd reference here. If you're a fan of The Mandalorian, The Mandalorian builds up his armor one part at a time. He accomplishes the mission, he trades it for whatever magical steel that's bulletproof. And he just starts to build that and he becomes stronger each and every single time. So for me, uh, this journey of life, whether it's content marketing or building up your own identity and what it is that you do, it's a long game. You got to learn to play that long game. So now I can emerge and say, you know, for the most part, yeah, I'm bulletproof. I don't care what you have to say because I've learned to accept and then to love myself for who I am. And I saw this uh, this uh, this graphic, this hand-lettered graphic, and I love it. It says, I am not weird. I am limited edition. I'm one yep. of one. What it's makes quite- me weird makes me wonderful. And that I would love to share with all of you. Yeah, it's a great quote and it's a great statement. And yeah, it takes you a long time to finally be okay with you. And and then I think even then, like you say, you dip in and out of it. Um, you might not always show it, but you dip in right. and out of it. Um, and I think, yeah, I agree. Like I think, in fact, even last year, as challenging the year as it was globally, yes. it also brought a rise in the people who were actually quite good at change and quite good at, like, I love change. I hate the bit when you're waiting for change to happen and you're trying to push it and force it, but I love change. And actually we've, we're in a society before 
probably I look throughout COVID and stuff where people actually don't want to change. They want change. They don't want to change. That's always my, like people say they want change, but actually they don't really want change. Whereas this last year was a year of bold pivots. It forced people to change. And all of those people that have been in the same spaces and been doing the same thing for a long time were forced to change. And some people like crashed and burned. And I guess, you know, like, it was a it was a terrible year on so many points. But Mark and I spoke about this quite a few times in the podcast. It was also a year of opportunity and it was a year to evolve and change and think towards a future that's much different to what it is now. Like I like to think I can see a future that does not yet exist. And then you work on and, and shape it into how that looks like. And so, yeah, I agree. Like I think it's finally the rise of the nerds <laughs> to actually come out of your shell and go, it's okay. Like it's all good. And I think after last year, there was a lot less dropping of judgments. It raised a lot of topics that have been judged and shaped a certain way for, for certain, for so long. And it actually raised a lot of like difficult conversations, I, I suppose I call them, um, and awkward moments, but it actually got it out there, out in the open. What are we uncomfortable with and how do we turn ourselves to to not also as well, like once you become too comfortable with something, then you go, well, like I need to kind of throw it in the air again. And, you know, that's why we bold pivot and that kind of stuff, even in our careers. And so I think, yeah, like whilst just last year was challenging, it was a great year for creative and just for people who were finally thinking different, not putting people in a box. I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you is, because obviously you reach these positions and no one actually knows your journey and where you've come from and necessarily if it's been a struggle to get there and how much you've fought to get where you are. There's a bit of a, like, I definitely get it. Um, even now um, in my industry, you, they see you in a suit or they see you looking super smart and they go, oh, you know, you obviously come from those circles and, and you, you've... And then there's assumption. And I actually, I feel really uncomfortable when I sometimes shamedly go, when people go, what do you do? I go, I work in design. And I, and I've, I feel uncomfortable telling people what I do or where from and what I've achieved necessarily, because I don't want, like, I, I'm a, like you, I don't have an ego. Like I'm, I'm confident in what I do, not all the time, but there's a bit of a side of me that goes, are you just winging it? And you need to stop mm -hmm. that voice in your head. It's really hard to do. And I feel like, how do you fight off those people that make us, I mean, they make assumptions. And there's a voice in my head that goes, no, like you have no idea what it's like coming from. I've started doing talks with General Assembly on bravery and resilience where for the first time ever, because I didn't share my, I don't talk about my background because I think your background doesn't have to define where you go. But I do think it teaches you things that you take forward. So I'm a big believer in you don't, like, no regrets. I'm a no regrets person, but I think you can learn from things that you've done wrong, that you've failed in to go forward and not necessarily make the same mistakes, but you learn and move forward. And so how do you fight off the people that make assumptions about you or do you just learn not to care? I don't care. Okay. Then we just don't <laughs> I care. need to ripple a bit of that energy too. <laughs> you know, because if you think about it, I mean, who are you living for? Are you living for that stranger who's going to... Who, who doesn't really care about you, to be honest? They're going to give you some kind of reaction. And a lot of it is projection. They're unhappy with their lives. They're unhappy with their progress or who they are, their self-image. And so then they project it on you. And so they have to make up a story about you and where you're from to discredit you because the truth is very painful for a lot of people. So we'll make up a story to make ourselves feel better. It's like sucking on a baby bottle just to pacify ourselves, to think everything's okay. You said that people love change. I think they love change in word and not in deed. Yes, they want so, change, but they don't want that. <laughs> and they, they want that magic pill. 
And there's no shortage of people out there trying to sell you a magic pill to change your life, to give you the career you've always wanted, to give you the bravery that you need. Yeah. And and they get rich doing that because apparently a lot of people want that. And it continues to work. And we just go from one scam to the next and it just gets repackaged and there's a sucker born every minute. And so that true change comes from the commitment to follow through to let you ultimately build your confidence. So, yeah, it, it takes a lot of work, but... I, so I wonder what they're looking for right now. And I think they're asking me a question. I just sometimes have a hard time seeing it through the a-hole F you this and that. So I'm, I'm looking for the question. If I can't find it, I, I'll delete the comment. It's totally fine. But I also think that the most passionate people who truly actually love you or your brand, when you do something that they feel like they have ownership over, they're going to say something really nasty. And rather than just routinely just discard them, like, let me just see what's here yeah. to separate out the animosity and this kind of vitriolic thing that's packaged. And like, let me just wade through that and find what's there. And if there's something there, let me think about it. Let me see how I can use this to my advantage. And to me, it's like, what people are doing is they're throwing stones at you. Rather than being affected by it, I'll pick up the stone and you know what? There's a little nugget of gold in this stone. Thank you. Put in my pocket. So that's what they're doing. And I don't, I don't really care anymore. And I think you can learn a lot of things, a lot of things from old people. You know, old people just don't give an F what you think anymore. They yeah. just don't. Yeah. You know, I, I love to tell this story because like I'm in a bookstore back when there were bookstores and when we can go to bookstores and there's the old man, he's in the magazine rack. I love looking at magazines, these periodicals and he's just like passing gas and loudly, not even discreetly. <laughs> he doesn't even seem to be phased. And I'm sure I know what he's thinking. I'm too old to give a rat's ass what you think about me right now. I just want to move away so people don't think it's me. That's all. But like, you know, old people, they just like, they're just, they just live too much. They just don't care anymore what you think. And we can learn a lot from them and we can learn a lot from really people because young people don't care that much about what you think either. They didn't brush their teeth. They didn't change their underwear. They just don't care. And so at these two spectrums, old and young people have it right. Everyone in the middle seems to have it screwed up. We're trying to outgrow our youth and we're trying to delay our, our old age. And it's just, we're just stuck in this weird place. So yeah, I, I don't care. And not caring it's weird because you would think people would hate you for not caring, but when you don't care, you carry yourself in a certain way that feels like you're at peace with who you are, being comfortable in your own skin. It's not that I think less of you, I just don't want to think about you, that's all. And so when I do that, it's really weird because people say you're very charismatic or you're very likable and comfortable. It's because you know I just don't care. And you gotta let go. And I'll tell you this, if you could care more and change the opinion of other people and the assumptions that they make and actually change that, then care more. But until that day comes, you're just spending your energy in the wrong place. Yeah, that's great. That's a good insight. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So we need to surround ourselves with super young people and super old people and just cut the middleman. <laughs> middle yeah, man. you need to become young old at the same time. There you go. <laughs> yes. Although the passing wind story reminds me very much of living in China. <laughs> <laughs> no one cares. They just do their own no thing. one cares. No, no one cares. cares. Yeah. If you ask a question, then they care. Yeah. Alrighty. So I'm conscious of time and I know I've only got you for like six more minutes. Um, and I really thank you for coming on today. It's been great to actually chat um, a little bit. Can I um, ask you a question? Go on. Okay. I don't always get. The I like benefit. a bit of riffing. Like it's good. It's why I like, you know. 
Yeah. So my question for you is this, and it may, and please indulge me if it's okay. I don't always get the benefit of hearing the criticism firsthand. I like the criticism when they don't know you're in the room. So you said there are some people who have very strong opinions about me. I'd like to know one or two of those things to see like what people are saying when I'm not around. There's something about feeling uncomfortable that makes me think a different way that challenges how I think. I think there's a few people, definitely, I would say the people who critique you or that come across as some of them is very opinionated. He likes to tell people what to do and how to be and how to act. And he doesn't understand their situation. So what's coming from a point, it's a viewpoint. You don't have to take it. You could just not listen to it. You could switch it off. You can go back into your own smaller bubble. That's fine. But they're the comments that do come out and they're the ones that I beat myself up about at night as to how do you change that mentality? Because I'm not sure that I can, but my job is to try. And you do it partly by getting the people who are are in the bigger bubble or that can act, or actually see where you're trying to take things and want to be on board. They want to be on the bus and drive it forward. Um, but in terms of the, like, there's... I know you say the future doesn't, there's no E, so there's no ego. And there isn't, I, like, I know you, I follow you. Maybe because I'm thinking of, no, actually, I think it's nice that someone's opinionated. They keep it real. Tell it like it is. But there's a few people that aren't ready for that. Absolutely. And, I, and here's the weird thing. I make videos to teach people how to better their lives, how to make more money, to be more confident, and to have the career that they've always wanted. And so when people are critical, I'm like, cool, man, they're free videos. You don't have to do it more for the rest of them. Right. And so when you see your friends and your neighbors zoom past you, I, what can I do? I'm not going to twist your arm to be better. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. You know, and then for every two or three or five people who say you're full of yourself, aren't you? Right. And you're so this and that, and they say all those things. And I'm like, okay, maybe I am. That's totally okay. And there's 85 other people who literally will write something like this. Here's one template that I see a lot. I thought about quitting. I was at the end of my road. And then I see this video and you've reinvigorated me. And that to me, it's like, I, I don't, no amount of money can buy that. And the feeling that you can actually do something for just one person is incredible. I was in, I was in Geneva doing a talk. And this young man, had, he was so excited. He's like, Chris, you're going to be in Geneva. Like, yeah, the venue's across the street from where I live. I need to see you. Do you like chocolate? I'm like, Switzerland. Okay, chocolate, that's cool. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, they're, they're known, right? So he, he, he sees me and he's a young man. He's like 20-something. He runs over and he's carrying a bag and he says, Chris, I just can't believe it. I just, you're here and everything. This is for you. And he hands me a bag. I thought it was like a bar of chocolate. It's like pounds of chocolate. I'm like, holy cow. I'm thinking luggage and everything. And he says, here's the situation. Just a year ago, I was living at home with my parents. I was barely scratching $20,000 a year. And I was thinking, what a disappointment. Everything wasn't working out. And he says, you don't believe it. I watch your videos. I just tried the things you said. I did $100,000 last year. I'm totally validated. Everything's great. I'm like, I'm proud of you, young man. You go do that. And those are typically the two stories that I get the most often somebody who's been able to convert and change their lives or someone who was at the end of their rope who just needed an extra inch or foot on that rope so they don't fall off and die. And for me, that's who I do it for. So everyone else, I get it. Go find your hero. Go find your mentor. It's not me. You yep. need a different style. I get it. I'm not for everybody. Not everybody wants to use that Pantone color and I get it. Yeah. 
No, it's great. That's a really good story. And yeah, like I agree, like you're not someone, you don't ram it down people's throats, but you're there. And, and they're the moments like just recently, I've been doing talks for General Assembly on like the first one I did was bravery and resilience. I spoke a little bit about where I'm from and my background. And I was, it's the moment I was nervous. Like it's the most open talk that I've ever done, but the feedback you get afterwards of someone going like, how did you do that? How did you break through that? Like building that resilience is so rewarding. It feels so good to know that you've, you've made someone who, cause it's you years ago, that was you, you kind of go like, Oh, is it okay to be different? I don't know if I want to be different. And you just need those people to plant that seed to go. It's okay. It's all good. Embrace it. Okay. I've listened to it even now, like even whatever level you get to, it's irrelevant. You still keep growing and you still keep learning. And like, like I said, I've listened to the podcast you recently shared on why do you believe what you believe a few times, because I, sometimes when, when it's been one of those days and I step away and I go, can I do this? Like, why am I doing it? And I listen to it and I go, no, because you've got a purpose and a mission and we're here to help instill that kid in us that was like, I don't know if I fit in. I don't know if I belong. And I don't mean belong as in copying everyone else, as in like, there are people who are allowed to think different like you do. And if you can inspire just one of those people, that's enough. And that's enough. The, yeah. That's like, it. And, and I think it's just learning. And as you get older, you're right. Like it does, you're going to switch off the comments and not get, not beat yourself up too much about the ones that are a bit like, well, oh, geez, who are you to talk the talk and walk the walk? And, you know, and like you did, we went on a journey to get here. <laughs> it wasn't super yeah. easy. And it's not always easy now. Like people ask me now, like, you know, you must love it. You're a creative director. It's hard. It is really hard. And every place is different or every, you know, situation is different, but I love it. Of course, I love yeah. it. And Can I, I tell you one little story? Yeah, I'd love to. little story. I was speaking at a conference and there was a break and I go out into the hallway and everybody's like grabbing a beer. It's crowded. And this man comes up to me. He goes, you know what, Chris? I got to tell you something. I'm like, oh, snap, here it comes. And he was really angry. He's like, I thought I knew everything about you and I, I was not prepared to come to this and I didn't want to like you because I got to tell you, I thought you were an a-hole. I'm like, okay, tell me more. And, and oftentimes trolls don't want to say anything to your face. But then he reminded me of the, the comment he made on Twitter. And it was very like fire in my face kind of thing. He goes to this conference in Chicago. He sees me. We talk. He listens to the talk. And I said, you know what? I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity to show you the, the different dimensions of who I am. I'm not one tweet. I'm not one video. I'm much more complicated than that. And so are you. And so is everyone else. And to give me that grace and to, to keep this much space open, that door just slightly ajar that you might be right or you might be wrong is more than what I, I can ask for. And he's sitting there talking to me. So you know what he does the next day? He writes a full-on blog post. He says, it starts something like this. Uh, I thought Chris Doe was an a-hole. And it turns out I'm the a-hole. And he writes his whole like public apology. That's and I awesome. think, you know, that's pretty cool. That's so that's awesome. why I say, you know, you got to just be a little bit objective when it comes to the criticism and the praise, because it goes both ways, right? I'm not going to yeah. get high on my own supply either. And I just want an opportunity. It's like, if I've been unclear, you could still not like me. You could still think I'm an a-hole, but if I'm unclear, give me the opportunity to be clear. And most often when I get into these discussions, then I go, okay, I'm not so angry. Okay, it's a little different than I thought. That's all. That's awesome. Because yeah, because what other people perceive and see you as, like sometimes as well, because we kind of, you know, like you get the opinions and thoughts out there and perhaps the perception from other people is not always what we would necessarily want it to be. Yeah. 
That's awesome. So looking on to 20, obviously we're in 2021 now. 2020 was a game changer. Where are you taking the future next? You've got your 1 billion target. What's the goal? What can we expect from you? What are you excited about? What are you terrified about? Because you should have some things that are terrifying you right now. The 1 billion is a pretty big thing to terrify you, I'm sure. Yeah, but you know, the billion is so far away that you can, you can have time to be afraid and terrified. Right now, we, we kind of hit a weird growth ceiling and we seem to have peaked in terms of our business. And that is very terrifying to me. So I want to set our goals this year to grow to $5 million in revenue as an education company. It's a big goal for us to hit. We're going to work like hell to get there. We'll see if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, we'll have learned a lot of things. In my mind, I either win or I learn. So if we don't get there, we learn and then we learn what not to do. And then hopefully we'll figure it out. The five-year roadmap is that in five years, I hope that our catalog of courses is deep enough that if somebody is considering going to a private art school, that they can say the future or private art school and they're going to be apples to apples. It's not going to be a compromise. We have a lot of work to do. I'm telling you right now. And I, I like to describe the future for people who don't know. It's it's private art school without the debt. We have a long ways to go to fill that first part because we're affordable. That's for sure. But it's the filling all the parts of the curriculum that I think are essential for somebody to be a designer. And when we figure that out, we can take that as an operating system and expand it out into other creative fields and then ultimately non-creative fields. And that's how we'll get to the billion. That's awesome. And how can we find you? Obviously, we've mentioned it already in the podcast, but remind people how to get in touch. Sure. You can find me on, I guess you can go to our website, thefuture.com. That's the future spelled without an E. We dropped the ego. That's where the E went. And then everywhere else on social social media, I'm at the Chris Doe. Doe is spelled D-O. Awesome. And we will drop those links in the show notes as well. Um, so thank you very much for your time today, Chris. It's been a pleasure. You, I was um, super nervous before this, but you've made me feel super uncom- super comfortable. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, and hopefully we'll touch base again soon. We'd love to get you back on when we've got a separate co-host and Mark can be here to answer his great big long list of questions that he answers. <laughs>